We were fat teens back when plus-sized meant anything above a size 12. Life was brutal. A bloodbath. Today, we look different, but still see the world through the lens of our fat girl experience. Because once you go fat, you never go back. This is Full Fat. G'day, g'day, and welcome to Full Fat, episode 15, which we're calling the golden age of ageism. Oh, isn't it though? I mean, this year, Sam, elder millennials, which is us, yep. are hitting some real milestones. I mean, the oldest millennials are now 40. Four decades, binches. That means that some of us are just beautifully stepping into our power finally fully owning who we are and what we're about. But as women, a whole lot of us are also dealing with this really sexist idea that our power is and always will be intertwined with our youth, which in and of itself is intertwined with our beauty. Oh God, Nat, I think I'm going to be sick. Uh, me too, lady. You are also in good company on the nausea. <laughs> it sucks. So Today, we're going to unpack ageism as we see it showing up in the world because it's getting worse. Mm. The UN confirms every second person holds ageist attitudes, and those attitudes aren't insignificant. They matter. They hold women back. They lead to poorer physical health, mental health. And since we're all headed in the same direction, ageism is going to affect every single last one of us. So, how do we create the reality that we want to step into as people who are getting older each day? We hope to touch on that and so much more in this episode. So, Nat, something I've noticed is that you've always been pretty pro-aging in our conversations. Like, you're always laughing about being ready to embrace that I don't give a fuck kind of energy of getting older. Would you say I've got that right? Yes, I I mean, I would in the context in which I've said it, which are kind of like quippy and off the cuff. Absolutely. I, you know, I've, I've always kind of joked around. I heard this line in an old movie my mom and I used to watch together called It's a Wonderful Life. And it's like, he says to his son, George, you were born old. Because he's saying, well, what do you mean? My brother's only two years younger than me. He, he could run the shop. And he said, George, you were born old. And I feel like for me, I was born old. So the older I get in in years, it's like I'm coming into who I've always felt I was. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, look, first of all, I checked, and It's a Wonderful Life came out in 1946. So you're aging yourself right there. But I would say you're on track. You're pretty much the 80-year-old woman you were always meant to be, Nat. A hundred percent. You know, and in terms of that 80 year old woman, I've kind of some characteristics about myself that I feel are more associated with an older chronological age are I'm very much as gregarious and kind of chatty as I might seem. I'm actually a very quiet observer. Like I'm very happy to sit and observe life and take things in and just be a quiet observer and enjoying things that way. I also, and this is no shock to you, Sam, I love comfort. She keeps it light on the loafers, the hush puppies, and she gets in her comfort zone and she stays there. Thank you very much. Oh, we're talking sturdy beige walking shoes with good arch support. Like we're talking <laughs> serious, like we're talking pink nightgowns purchased at Walmart, like floor length. I just, and I'll be honest with you, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is nobody expects their grandmother to be up on the latest Netflix binge. And I can't wait 
for zero pressure to be up on anything. One of the things that makes me feel this constant with all the volume of content we have around is this constant anxiety to be like up on the latest thing. And it's an expectation Mm. for everyone borderline under the age of 60. And I just feel like I'm not cut out for that kind of content consumption. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean when you've got like five different friends suggesting a new series you should watch or people sending you links to things. It can be kind of overwhelming sometimes, but who really cares when you've got, you know, reruns of Murder, She Wrote on free-to-air anyway, Nat? Angela Lansbury, I mean, hit me up. Hit me up. You know, on a a more serious note about getting older, I would say the thing that I look forward to and all the things that I just said, like I said, are kind of associated with what in my mind with over the age of 60. Mm -hmm. One thing that actually scares me, though, I'd say with the age range of like what I'm in now, like 35 to 60 ish is the increased responsibility. And that's where I do think you get into a gender difference in aging, which is that the burden of responsibility for caring for parents as well as children, if you choose to have them or are able to have them, it it usually gets placed more on women. And that is something that scares me balancing a, because I'm quite ambitious career-wise. So balancing like a job that's 50, 60 hours a week with childcare, with taking care of aging parents, with taking care of a house, with being social, like that scares me. Yeah. I've never really thought of it that way. I guess probably because, you know, my sister and I are two girls, so you've got double the sense of duty there, but you're right. It's um, it's not all shards and skittles at the bowling club or at the curling club. Of course, I'm looking forward to, as I said, sturdy walking shoes and coral-colored Revlon lipstick. Can't wait with a nice shimmer. But 35 to 60 kind of, it, it kind of scares me, you know? I mean, what about you? Like, do you have certain ageist beliefs? I, I haven't gotten the same, you know, excitement for aging sometimes from you. But I, I would you say that you have certain ageist beliefs? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yes. I mean, well, firstly, I think it's really hard to live in the world we live in and to not have some sort of internalised ageism. I mean, I started reading beauty magazines when I was a babe and I'm sure same goes for you. Mm. Um, And I watched my mum deal with ageing and, of course, contribute to the beauty industry and... um, you know, no shade to doing that. I that's a part of a part of my life that I really enjoy as well. But definitely saw that staving off physical aging is the goal, and I want to stay as you know youthful as I can as long as I can within reason. But today I almost see there being a more dangerous element to ageism. It's not just about physical appearance, which you would think is bad enough superficial stuff like fashion and style but the ageism I see today is about like declaring whole groups of people whole segments of society completely irrelevant that's really interesting I'd never actually thought of that before yeah and these attitudes I think just like highlight a lack of substance and a lack of depth which is more concerning to me you know we can have our opinions about the vanity side of things and we can choose to pass it off as superficial but to me this idea of reducing a whole segment's contribution in the world is kind of alarming. Mm. And it's happening even in places that have traditionally held their elders in in high esteem, have really looked after them. There's so many layers. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm not discounting that some of the disdain, some of the disrespect is warranted in some ways, but I just think it's kind of sad, especially because I was someone who 
really valued the company of older people from like a really young age. And I'm not talking about sugar daddies. I mean, friends that were older, like I was friends with this guy, Ben, who was, you know, a radio announcer that I worked with when I was 16, you know, and like a genuine friend, like a lovely guy. And I'm still in touch with him now. Um, Kaz was my art teacher and we used to go rollerblading around the river and I was probably 16 and she would have been in her 40s. And we just had like a really natural friendship. And I remember coming home from school and this woman at the top of our street who was like probably in her 80s. Her name was Mrs. James, don't know her first name. And I used to go in and drop in on her and just visit her after school and bring her like flowers and just talk to her to keep her company. It wasn't like a forced respect. I think I just inherently knew that these people had things to teach me and that when I was older, like when I got to Mrs. James' age, like really old, that I would want people to treat me with love and kindness too. And so I just kind of knew that that was a part of it like like you you put out what you want to get back in the world type thing and for you and me I think in like our eating disorder recovery program that's another place that I've really you know gotten to spend a lot of time with older people like our friend Marilyn who was like in her 80s and we just were like chatting to her like a friend you know you meet people from such different walks of life in recovery and I think that's fucking cool oh and let's be real primarily older I mean I we, I still get referred to you know you're someone younger in recovery I'm like I'm like in my late 30s yeah yeah it's definitely on the older end and I've, I've benefited from that for sure as you pointed out earlier we are senior millennials so getting right up close to that gen x cutoff what I want to know Nat is do you identify more with Gen X, would you say, or millennials? It's a, it, you know, in preparing for in reviewing our show notes, I was thinking it's hard. You have said to me that you can definitely feel that I'm a millennial. Yes. It's hard for me to kind of view myself from a bird's eye view because I think also a natural tendency of millennials is like, oh, I'm a different and unique and special. <laughs> so I had to actually do a little bit of research, like what are qualities associated with millennials and just kind of, I was assessing, well, where do I fall along these? And yeah, I was expecting to find mostly negative. I found quite a few positive and they said one of the, and kind of in the, the, the positive category, it was that we're civic oriented. And I would say for myself, like I've marched in protests. I definitely vote. I volunteered for a political party that I feel affiliated with and donated to them. So I do feel that I have a civic orientation. Um, technologically savvy within reason i'm certainly not on the social media savviness but i'd say technologically i can give you you know pretty quick oh yeah you're gold educated for sure i actually and this might also be kind of a microculture in my family i actually feel like a small fish because i only quote unquote have a master's degree and not a phd so definitely educated entrepreneurial not at all oh i definitely have an entrepreneurial spirit it's in our family blood for sure. I do not have an entrepreneurial spirit. I am very conventional that way. I want an employer with a good pension and good benefits. Right on. But interestingly in that, they also talk about millennials valuing flexibility and work. That mm. I can definitely relate to. I want a nine to five, but I want to be able to work from home like two, three days a week. And so that is something that would matter to me more than money. Like if I had to sacrifice honestly, up to 10 grand a year because I got the flexibility to work from home when I wanted, that would matter to me a lot. So balance matters. Totally. In terms of some of the harder stuff that I have to honestly say I do identify with is that what was said was we were the quote unquote most wanted generation of children. We weren't accidents. There was a lot of intention around us and all of our milestones were marked with 
effusive celebration and praise. So what we expect in life, and I've noticed this, is a lot of praise. Oh, yeah. Tons, honey. I want a lot. I, I would be embarrassed to admit how much positive feedback I want. So I definitely can relate to that. Also, um, and I was like, oh, that's a really good point that millennials are very, very pressured because they grew up in such a structured, we have soccer on Wednesdays and we have swimming on Tuesdays and we have ballet on Saturdays. It's stressful. No wonder we needed to side snack. Because we grew up so structured and so sheltered as well with such an intense focus on our safety, we really don't have an ability to just spontaneously play. And I've really noticed that in myself. It's hard for me to just sit and chill. Like I just, it's like I should be developing myself. I should be getting better at something. It's really hard for me to just do Netflix binges, you know? Unfortunately, unfortunately, I think I'm pretty good at Netflix binges. And I think I've got a pretty good sense of play about me too, for sure. So I don't know. Sometimes I can relate to certain qualities of millennials, of Gen Y. And then other times I think I'm like, definitely have some qualities of Gen X. And I think that's partly because my older sister was a Gen Xer. So, you know, you kind of look up to them and you watch the, you know, films that they watch when you're growing up. So I think I was heavily influenced by that too. But yeah, I kind of sometimes think of myself as an XY, like I'm somewhere in between the two. Yeah, you know, I could see that. Like there's certain things that I think I identify more with from the Gen X because I'm def- I'm, an, I'm still an elder millennial and Sam's like, no, you're not. But I think that one of them is definitely for me, I like convention, but I would definitely agree with, I feel, I've felt pressured my whole life because one of the things with feeling special your whole life is that you should be achieving a lot if you are special. You should always be achieving in everything that you do. So Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Because we were dubbed the special generation. I know that I mentioned this, that, you know, I'm technologically savvy, but not on the social media kind of front. And I, I would say that social media seems to be where a lot of like ageism plays out these days when you talked about, you know, excluding groups. So kind of first there was the, you know, the whole okay boomer thing. And (laughs) now we're getting judged for our side parts and skinny jeans, perhaps being called chuggy. Look, a side part is versatile. You can't argue with that. You get the best of both worlds. Would you say that social media is where you encounter, you know, a fair share of ageism? Definitely. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not really taking that content too seriously most of the time. I understand that it's background noise, but it does have an impact on us. Like any kind of media that's in our lives, it does um, take a certain amount of decision to say like, oh, I'm not going to buy into that. That's not really going to penetrate, you know, my own thinking and, and my own values. But there is a kind of bit of a basic bitchiness to it as well like I mean a side part come on Uh, you know like that's fashion like that's always been the case with young people kind of like laying out the gauntlet in terms of fashion and then you get to choose what you want to take from it and what you want to throw away like if crocs are in fashion Mm -hmm. you know I'm not necessarily going to follow them like I, I I have that you know discernment to go like oh I like fashion but I'm not going to follow everything you know um just the same way that like if I still want to be wearing dad sneakers, which I probably will, like in two years from now, I'll do it. Like I just, I'm not someone that lives and dies by that stuff. I pick what I like and I enjoy it. And so I do kind of take this stuff with a bit of a grain of salt. Um, 
A classic place, though, to discover ageism is the greeting card aisle of like a supermarket or, you know, a pharmacy. Have you ever had a look at the the cards for people's birthdays and the horrible ageist things that they say? You are blowing my whole entire mind right now. <laughs> I've never reflected on, on that. At a certain age, it's like over the hill or yeah. like, can you even read this birthday card? Yeah, they're brutal. Yeah. Like never thought of that. Notoriously ageist. And, and for me, you know, like I work in advertising. So for me, a big place where I see ageism play out is at work. And um, our industry worships youth and being aware of what's new and what's hot. And it becomes about survival in these sorts of industries. And that can be problematic too, I think, because, you know, the value of a seasoned employee is just so much more than their ability to watch a million TikTok videos when they come home at night or to keep up with the Kimmies or the Addison Rays. We need to be aware of what's going on and what's trending, but I think things like life experience and travel and emotional maturity and an inner sense of self, confidence in who you are and what your tastes are, decisiveness and like the ability to bounce back from mistakes, those are things I think you can't learn online, you know. That's where I think the real value is. And something I noticed growing up with those like older friends that I had was that there was a link between them all like they all were able to kind of relate to me in this really effortless way they were just young at heart and I think that's something that's kind of innate I I don't think that yeah relating to culture relating to young people should be an effort for you I think it's it's kind of one of those things that I think you've either got or you don't and I don't think it really is about, you know, knowing the latest terms or, you know, being able to quote something or to be on top of something. I think young people can sniff it out. They know whether you're young at heart. They know whether you're a a young spirited person. And I just think that is undervalued. And, you know, what's so interesting is that the industry that I'm in is not that way at all. It's very classic that as I age, I can expect to be viewed with more prestige and expect to, you know, have more senior level roles available to me with, you know, people who are reporting to me who are kind of at a younger, more entry level. Like I'm very much in kind of a classic hierarchy where my, my youth is kind of my age is kind of in line with how I'm progressing in my career. So it is not that my, my youth isn't, you know, overly valued. And I wouldn't say my advanced age wouldn't be overly um, discredited. In fact, it might be valued more highly. That's great. Honestly, that's so, so different to, you know, my experience. But one thing I wanted to talk about now is I have this theory that Aging affects some of us more than others, you know, particularly those of us who have been popular in high school, deemed one of the beautiful people, celebrities, models. Those people often seem to be extra fucked up when it comes to aging and ageism. So knowing that, is it a gift to have never made it to that place where your looks or perceived coolness are your calling card? And does not having a typical youth like you know you and I have kind of experienced make you less attached do you think to the idea of of youth i want to say gen z or or people younger than gen z i don't think they're growing up in the same environment the high school experience in media now is not nearly as idealized as it was when we were in there when we were in there it was candy floss like nothing like 
stereotype archetypes of the cheerleader and the football but there were perhaps like more rules about being a success or being a failure thanks to shows like 90210 saved by the bell like all those kinds now you've got shows like euphoria you have movies like eighth grade i know there's tons that i'm missing but it's not idealized in the same way i think teens just have more perspective on high school these days they're not delusional thinking that they're supposed to be the best days of their life they get it it's brutal but to segue for a minute um you cracked me up recently when you told me about you know you're having a bit of a high school fantasy that you bring into your current relationship tell us about that now it's like a real turn on for me when we're in scenarios that seem as if it's like we're in high school. Like if we're in the basement and his parents are upstairs. But you're not like wearing a school uniform and stuff like that, right? What I mean more is that when I'm in a scenario that seems as if it's more akin to like a high school sexual experience, which I never had, mm -hmm. if we're in if we're in his basement and his parents are over upstairs and it's like, oh, we have to be quiet because like your parents. I never did that in high school ever. I was straight up at home reading Goosebumps. Right. So, you know what I mean? So when we're like, or like, oh my gosh, like we're upstairs, but like, you know, oh, it's Thanksgiving and like your whole family is downstairs. Like, should we really be like, blah, blah. It's, it's something about it because I never had to be secret because nothing was going on. Just a little dirty dancing on the VCR. So for me, like, that's one thing that's kind of a fun way of like reliving a youth I didn't have, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I think that what you were touching upon was that a lot of people look back at high school or their younger years really fondly and with yearning and with longing because they know that their current experience or they don't value it as much. And I think what you're talking about is just kind of like maybe there's less freedom or there feels like there's more discrimination. And I'm just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on how you could kind of create, I don't know, more like freedom around aging, like lessen the discrimination around aging? I know it's a big question. Yeah. I mean, firstly, anyone who looks back on their high school years as the glory days is just, yeah, no friend of mine. Mm. I don't know anyone who was like cool in high school who's cool now. And I think representation is really important Nat. like um, film and television and the catwalk and ads. And yes, it's getting a bit better, but we are so far from where we need to be. And you've still got really young actresses being hired to play much older roles, which just sets up this ridiculous standard for what it, what it means to age. Kind of like you have an expiry date, you know? Yeah. And I think it's really important as well when we get people into those places that we stop stigmatizing age and we start really showing different examples of what it means to age you know and that doesn't just mean on tv i think in the world like it's so important to see just diversity you know like to see for me like women who don't have children how they're aging single people people who choose not to be in partnership for the rest of their lives how they're living their lives like there are so many wonderful ways that you can age and that you can choose to live your life. And I just think the more examples that you have around you, the more freedom that we get. So I think that's important. Um, I think we need to stop stigmatizing aging and 
denying um, them opportunities to be sexual or to talk about their sex lives. Like the classic one is when your parents might talk about their sex lives and you go, ooh, and it's kind of kind of got some shame attached to that. And I think, yes, people, you know, the parents is maybe not the best example, but I do think that um, we need to just allow people to be human and to not make age a thing. The internet, we need to pay no mind to stupid internet humour that's just steeped in ageism and we also have to acknowledge the intersections between ageism and misogyny because you got to understand that if you're a young woman and you're perpetuating ageism you're being anti-feminist because look at men men aren't subjected to these same uh, you know narratives they're not part of the conversation when it comes to ageism so really look at you know yourself and like how you're contributing and i think finally we need to get back to acknowledging the value of older people and I know this one can get difficult because you know there's a lot of resentment sometimes about the environment and the situation we find ourselves in and you know the finger gets pointed at older generations and there's some validity to that but I also think that we have so much to learn from elders too you know um we live in this internet culture and you know young people are experiencing mental health issues on an epidemic level and I think there's so much you can learn from talking to older people who have learned to just let go of of some of the stuff I heard a great one the other day FOPO fear of other people's opinions talking to older people has taught me so much about that kind of thing like how to let go of what's not important in life so I think we need to remember that. I agree. And I think, you know, kind of taking it from micro to macro, if you look at our beautiful and dearly departed friend, Marilyn, we, the kind of key ingredient there was that there was two-way listening and two-way learning. Like there was no competition between us. There was no, like, she was just as happy to sit and hear about what was going on with me as I was to sit and listen to what's going on with her grandchildren, of which she had more than one. And I think one of the things that when it comes to, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to take credit for this, this is again from the, the you know, a, a book by Naomi Wolf, but this idea that ageism and this hyper focus on women's looks actually serves to pit women against each other such that they're we're all viewed as competition and i think that when you take that out of it i really think that i'm going to be that like i you know god willing if i if i if i were to have a, a child and it were to be a daughter i honestly think i'd be the type of mom to be like wear an even shorter skirt if you want to you look good honey and like just you know not feel this like oh it would have been so nice if i or blah blah like just this idea of kind of you know mutual celebration among women and kind of it's like i think that i think that embracing age and embracing youth and embracing you know being advanced in years is almost a political act like just saying no we're, we refuse to say that our youth is our value we refuse to say that because that that puts our young people in an in a pressure cooker and our elder millennials out to pasture how ridiculous to deny them their value these women just as they're starting to bloom it's crazy anyway we could talk about this forever it's time to dip into our dear fatty's mailbag i can't wait to hear more of your sage advice honestly each week i'm like where does she get this from? Uh, it's called the School of Chubby Knocks. Uh, a little take on the School of Hard Knocks. It's just fat wisdom, you know, all the way. What does our writer have to say, Nat? Dear fatties, I'm going to dive right in. I have this kind of friend slash good acquaintance in my ladies book club. 
Now that we started meeting again in real life, outdoors, of course, I'm being reminded of something that's really hard I find when I'm around her. It's like she kind of feigns fatness and fishes for compliments, and she's what I'd call pretty thin. But she's constantly saying things like, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. I'm trying something new if someone brings a kind of decadent snack. But I've kind of seen her and she'll be staring at the food table while only eating raw veggies. One time when she ate a few handfuls of chips, it was like she was kind of manic afterwards and kept saying, I can't believe I did that. Oh my God, all my hard work out the window. It was hard to listen to. We were trying to talk about the book and it was so obvious that she was, I guess, consumed by what she was consuming. One night she was saying how cold she was and my friend offered her a sweater and she said, oh, that's so nice. Do you think you'd have one that wouldn't be too tight on me? I was really surprised that she said that. At our most recent get together, the first one off Zoom in a while, she kept kind of tugging at her top and nervously laughing and saying, I hope this hides all my COVID weight. And I couldn't see that she'd gain any weight at all. Signed, fed up with fishing. This one just breaks my heart, Nat. Like, what was your initial reaction to this? My initial reaction to this was I don't want to be too harsh on our letter writer because I think that she wrote to us in good faith and is genuinely not sure what to do. Mm -hmm. This is not someone who's feigning fatness. Like this is someone who has a form of body dysmorphia. Like Mm -hmm. to me, that's what I'm here. I'm not here to diagnose someone. I just, this is not someone to me who strikes me as, as fishing for compliments. Like this is someone who's really to me exhibiting things that indicate a quite a painful and I I don't want to go as far to say toxic, but a very, very painful relationship with food and weight and how she sees herself. What are your thoughts, Sam? What stuck with me was the idea of her eyes following the food around the table, Mm. you know, and I've been in this position before. I've had friends where, you know, I couldn't understand, especially as someone that was heavy. It's been hard sometimes in my life to listen to those conversations where someone's like, grabbing the tiny little folds, the one little fold they have on their body and complaining about it. And you're like, um, hello, pork chop. (laughs) But I think you just have to have some compassion with this stuff, you know, even though it's difficult because, yeah, that is torture. And, And I have witnessed so many times people with disordered eating at all different kind of ends of the spectrum. And I do think it's a spectrum and it might not exhibit on the body in the same way, but it can be pure torture. Yeah, I I agree. And this is not me projecting my own internal experience. Like I I can have, uh, you know, a, a week where my weight doesn't fluctuate at all and how I feel about what I look like changes rapidly, wildly, like huge variations, you know? There's actually been a couple points where I didn't want to leave my house and I look how I look now. I occupy the same body. So mm-hmm. I think there's really an opportunity here for you to offer compassion and understanding. Um because I think the irritation that you're feeling with her it, it's almost like I I'm getting the sense that what this letter writer is saying is you have no right to claim angst about your body. In order to claim angst and negativity about your body, you need to be X size, you know? And that's not true. Mm -hmm. You know, many people are are kind of rightfully, if not, you know, kind of sadly claiming 
very bad relationships with how they see their, you know, physicality in the world and has nothing to do with what they objectively, quote unquote, look like on the outside. I, I really think this is an opportunity for you to practice understanding and compassion and maybe kind of blow apart some preconceived notions that you have in your mind of what people who occupy certain body sizes are, quote unquote, entitled to. And I would maybe look for an opportunity when she says those things about having gained weight during COVID, like there might be a gentle way to point out that to you, her eyes are broken, you know, like you could say like, I, I really think that your eyes are broken. I think you look beautiful and you look no different to what you look like before we went into this. If, if that's true for you, I think you should share that, you know, like it's, I know it can feel like fishing for compliments, but I really believe that when you see someone is in pain, you might have to tell people a hundred times, you know, but you're doing good work. You know, it's important. The last thing that I want to say is that I think that if you want to go a step further, letter writer, what I would suggest is you started your letter by saying that it's a, you know, kind of loose friend slash acquaintance. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to get together with her one-on-one, -on -one, like, and not to come from a place of preaching or proselytizing, or I'm going to show you the way, but just to get to know her, like just to get to know her in terms of what's going on in her life. And I think that in terms of that, that is actually going to really, I think I just have this feeling you're going to be really surprised. I think you're going to be really surprised. So um, that would be my, that would be my suggestion. So compassion and get to know her a little bit better. Now, one thing I think we all need to remember, especially in light of this pandemic is that aging is a privilege, right, Natalie? Not all of us get to experience it. Mm, you know, and the beauty of this world is that we're all different. And I would expect that all of you, dear listeners, have left high school. So fitting in is just, it's not the goal anymore. Let's stand out, stand apart and find ways to connect in community rather than draw up each other's differences and see them as weaknesses because there has to be room for more than youth and trendiness and more than one way to be beautiful in the world. We have to be willing to let go of some of this thinking that's really born of our own, you know, insecurity, our own fragility and kind of force fed to us by the quote unquote machine. So as we start to wrap up, I want to know who would be your older soul goal, Natalie? Like who is your favorite oldie? No, one million percent, no hesitation, the Oracle from the first Matrix. She is in a kitchen. She is baking cookies. She just has this energy. I remember when I first saw that movie and I was in high school, I was like, I want to be her, period. She's played by this amazing Black actress who I believe has actually passed away, sadly. Her name is Gloria Foster. Look her up. That woman's entire vibe is my hashtag aging goals. Oh, my God. I love it. I think mine's probably Frankie from Grace and Frankie played by Lily Tomlin. Oh, I love Lily Tomlin. Do you remember Big Business? Only one of my favorite films of 1988. A classic. Speaking of classiques, dear fatties, it's a full fat staple each month and we've got underqualified opinions to share. Yes, we do. So tell us your problem and we'll help you solve it. Email all and any dilemmas to thisisfullfat at gmail.com. On Instagram, we are at thisisfullfat. That's where we post episodes, all our beautiful photography. Thank you, Ria. And stuff that's just inspiring us. So be part of it. Episodes drop on the first and third Thursday of every month. For our next one, Sam is going to be talking to a therapeutic poet. Yep, it's going to be interesting. Until then, though, stay greasy, ladies. 
Stay greasy, ladies.